Good morning. Uh, let me add my welcome to the welcome that you've had already. And uh, thank you to everyone who's involved in the service already. So thank you, Fiona, for uh, doing the kids' talk. It was brilliant. Thank you to Matthew for leading us in worship, and Dan as well, and to Irene. Um, I'll say, Irene forgot to read one of the verses there. So if you got a little confused, I think she forgot verse 15 in there. So but we'll come back to it. Um, who is like our God? This is a question that is continually asked throughout Scripture. So you flick through the Psalms, you see it in Psalm 35, 89, 113, probably a number of others as well. You see this question in Exodus 15, where we find, Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? And the answer to all of these questions is no one. No one is like our God. So for these past two months, we've been doing this series called God Is. And so we've seen how he is sovereign, how he is holy, how he is unchanging, and how he is all-knowing and ever-present. That question was repeated again a couple of times in Isaiah 40. So in verse 18, it says, To whom then will you liken God, or what likeness compares with him? And then verse 25, it says, To whom then will you compare me that I should be like him, says the Holy One. So this passage again answers that no one is like our God and reveals to us the power of God. And Dan is right all the way through Scripture. You can almost open it up at any page and you see something of a demonstration of God's power. And so today, we are going to look at how he is all-powerful, or another word for it is omnipotent. Um, a couple of times throughout the series, myself and Harley have quoted from A.W. Tozer. So we've got a book um, that speaks a little bit of the, the character of God. And so in here, um, there's a quote I'd like to read out for you. Uh, so this is Tozer. He says, if God had all the power there is, except a little bit, and if somebody else had a little bit of power hoarded that God couldn't get to, then we couldn't worship God. We couldn't say that this God is of infinite power because he wouldn't be of infinite power. He'd just be close to it. While he'd be more powerful than any other being, and perhaps even more powerful than all the beings in the universe lumped together, he would still have a defect and therefore couldn't be God. Our God is perfect, perfect in power. God to be God must be infinite in all that he is. He must have no bound and no limit, no stopping place, no point beyond which he can't go. When you think of God or anything about God, you'll have to think infinitely about God. The power of God is constantly visible to us. And we were reminded of that in Isaiah 40. So verse 12 says, Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and marked off the heavens with a span, enclosed the dust of the earth in a measure, and weighed the mountains in scales and the hills in the balance? Verse 15 says, Behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket and are accounted as dust on the scales. Behold, he takes up the coastlands like fine dust. Verse 22, it is he who sits above the circle of the earth and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers. Who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them like a, a tent to dwell in? Lift up your eyes on high and see. Just looking up to the stars. Who created these? He who brings out their host by number, 
calling them all by name, by the greatness of his might, and because he is strong in power, not one is missing. In Romans 1, we read, for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. We see the power of God all around us. And uh, I want to share a few facts uh, with you that I think just demonstrate how powerful and how awesome God is. Uh, A few months back, I did something with the kids. I did an assembly for school, but I did something with Children's Church here as well. We were talking about the stars. Uh, And so, as you all know, we live in a galaxy called the Milky Way. And scientists think, so they're not certain, they don't know the number. They think there's something between 100 billion and 400 billion stars in our galaxy. They think they're somewhere, that's quite a big margin of error they've given themselves there, I think. So somewhere between 100 and 400 billion. Now, if you were to try and count those and you took one second for every single one of them, it would take you 3,168 years, assuming it was the 100 billion. I did the math in an Excel spreadsheet. I geeked out here a little bit, so trust me on this. But as we've just seen in Isaiah 40, God not only knows the actual number, not only can he see them all, but he made them and he knows them each by name. We don't even know the number, but he made them and he knows them by name. Today, scientists are continuing to discover new stars that are millions of light years away. And there's one, and I quite like the name of this one, it's called Betelgeuse. So that's not how you actually spell it. It's got a a bit more of a glamorous spelling to it. But that is 640 million light years away, and it's so big that you could fit 262 trillion Earths into it. These are huge astronomical numbers. Verse 12 in Isaiah 40, if you look in the NLT version, it says, who has measured off the the heavens with his fingers? Isn't it mind-boggling when we think on these vast spaces and objects and they're measured by his fingertips. Of what Dan read, and again in Genesis and in Colossians 1, we're reminded God spoke all things into being, and he holds these things together. Psalm 19, verses 1 and 2 says, The heavens proclaim the glory of God. The skies display his craftsmanship. Day after day, they continue to speak. Night after night, they make him known. Every time you see the sunrise, every time you look up at the night sky, would it lead us to awe and wonder as God is making himself and his power known to us. But it's not just in the huge things that we see God's power on display. We also see in the things that are so small that we need a microscope or something even better than that to, to, to begin to understand them. Now, I didn't do biology in school, so I've just read this, so please don't come up to me with follow-up questions on this. I'm reading facts that I've read here. So anyway, so it's a little bit of the complexity of the human body for us. So we're going to talk about two things, DNA and RNA. So the first thing is DNA. So each DNA molecule, I'm really nervous because there's some doctors in the room here. So if I get this wrong, please tell me afterwards. Don't tell me now. So DNA, so those molecules, are, they're so tightly coiled. They're tightly coiled. But if you stretch out every single molecule of DNA, they're two meters long. Now, if you put all your DNA in your body together, back to back, it would be 12 billion miles that you have in your body. 
Now, messenger RNA, that carries code that is 3.5 billion letters long. How incredible is that? Life requires proteins, and proteins are formed by combining 20 different amino acids together, acids together in the right order. It has to be the right order. So a simple protein will have about 100 amino acids all in a chain together. Now, the chances of all those coming together in the right order without some sort of intelligent design behind it is 1 in 10 to the power of 130. And some of you are thinking, okay, that, that sounds impressive. Can you give me, like, what does that actually mean to me? And so I want to give you an example using the lottery. Okay, so if you, this is like winning the lottery 18 times in a row. That is what the chances are of these, amino, uh, these proteins coming together without intelligent design behind it. Our world contains 10,000 different species of birds, an estimated 22,000 different fish, about 65,000 different types of trees, 300,000 planets, uh, plant, plants, sorry, plants, 610,000 fungus, 7.7 million animals, and apparently there's about 40,000 different kinds of spiders. These are not just facts we can learn about, but something we can experience each and every single day. Allow your senses to be reminded of the power of God. As you walk through creation, hearing the sounds of the thousands of creatures that he has made, the wind in the trees, the rush of the sea, the smell of flowers, the warmth of the sun, the beauty found in each and every snowflake, each and every single day, we experience the power of God in his creation. Friends, I could go on and on. But do you see how powerful God is? Do you see that no one compares to him? So the, the power of God, it should lead us to awe and wonder. But it should also lead us to reverent fear. Yes, God works incredible beauty into creation, but his power is not there for us to try and control it, but it's there to display his glory and his holiness. Throughout the book of Exodus, we see his awesome power on display. And I think if we're quite honest with ourselves, it's quite terrifying, actually, what we read in there. Before the plague of hail, God says to Pharaoh through Moses, and you can read this in Exodus 9, verses 14 to 16, then you will know that there is no one like me in all the earth. By now I could have lifted my hand and struck you and your people with a plague to wipe you off the face of the earth. But I have spared you for a purpose, to show you my power and to spread my fame throughout the earth. In Exodus chapters 9 to 11, we see the plagues. And so you've got plagues of darkness, gnats, flies, frogs, water turning into blood, hail, boils, livestock dying, locusts, and the Passover. Sometimes I think we, we're so used just to hearing these stories, and we've heard them all as kids, that we forget just almost how terrifying that they must have been. It says about the darkness, it was something that you could feel. Each of these plagues is not just simply a display of his power, but each is a defeat of an Egyptian god. And again, he's, he's saying, who is like me? And the answer is no one. 
As we continue through Exodus, Israel, they arrive at Mount Sinai where God invites them into a covenant with him. In the scene of the mountain, we read in Exodus chapter 19, again, I'll use this word, I think it's terrifying. So this is verses 16 to 19 of Exodus 19. On the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast so that all the people in the camp trembled. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God. And they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. So they had to stand at the foot of the mountain. They were specifically warned not to touch the mountain. If not, they would die. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln and the whole mountain trembled greatly. And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke and God answered him in thunder. The Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain, and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. Can you imagine being someone at the foot of the mountain and seeing and hearing all that is around you? I hope for all of us that we would be full of that reverent fear and awe as our senses were continually assaulted by this display of power. Let us not take the power of God lightly. We've seen what's happened earlier in Exodus. We see this display that leaves people trembling. But in this scene of trembling, we read of an an invitation from God for Moses to approach him and Moses goes up the mountain. That same invitation exists for us today. Our all-powerful God invites us to be with him, and we can approach him. This is the same God that we worship today, and because of the sacrifice of Jesus at Calvary, he has opened up the way for all of us to approach him boldly. Not just one, but we're all invited up the mountaintop to be with God, to hear him speak, to enjoy his presence, and to be his friend. Um, I spoke a bit on this. So with, in the sand about a year and a half ago, we went through the book of Exodus. And uh, um, I realized a little bit of, there's quite a gap between me and the youth. And so when I, in the 90s, I was quite a big fan of Matt Redman and a lot of the albums that, and the songs that he wrote. So I was telling the youth, and I realized that 25 years had passed since he'd actually written this song. And so but Matt Redman wrote a song called The Friendship and the Fear. I don't know, some of you might remember it. In it, he says, I am longing to discover both the closeness and the awe. Feel the nearness of your whisper. Hear the glory of your roar. I want the friendship and the fear of knowing you. I think holding these two things can, sometimes it can easily be lost. Sometimes we lose that respect that God deserves. Sometimes we forget that he calls us friend. Psalm 25, 14 says, the friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him and he makes known to them his covenant. We talk about fear, we're not talking about being scared here. That means reverence, awe, 
recognizing just how powerful he is, knowing he has the power to give and to take away, knowing that he is in control, knowing that he is sovereign over all, knowing that he alone should be worshipped. Back at the start, I read that A.W. Tozer quote, and he reminded us that when you think of God or anything about God, you'll have to think infinitely about him. God is infinitely, infinitely powerful, and he's also infinitely merciful, loving, good, and just. Isaiah 40, 10 and 11 say this, Look, you're God. Look at him. God, the master, comes in power, ready to go into action. He is going to pay back his enemies and reward those who have loved him. So you see there, his power. He is our master. And then it continues. Like a shepherd, he will care for his flock, gathering the lambs in his arms, hugging them as he carries them, leading the nursing ewes to good pasture. Would we have the friendship and the fear of knowing him? Look at his power and bow low before him and at the same time accept his wonderful invitation to come and be his friend, to accept his warm embrace, his leading in our lives and his protection as our shepherd. Would we have the friendship and the fear? This invitation, as I said, to be friends with God is all done through the power of Jesus. And as we read through the Gospels, we are once again reminded of just how awesome and powerful he is. And Fiona read one of those stories to us. But a simple flick, uh, flick through the Gospels reveals Jesus healing men of unclean spirits, cleansing lepers, enabling the lame to walk, restoring withered hands, calming storms, removing demons, feeding thousands, walking on water, restoring sight, bringing the dead back to life, turning lives around, and forgiving sin. At the start of the Gospel of John, we find John the Baptist, and Jesus is walking towards him, and John declares, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And in a later letter, the Apostle John shares with us, He, Jesus, is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not only for our sins, but also for the sins of the whole world. Jesus went to the cross and there defeated all our sin. Not just one sin for each of us. Not just a few, but for all the sins of all the world. As Jesus hung on the cross, he was mocked by the rulers who said, He saved others. Let him save himself. If he is the Christ of God, his chosen one. Soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. That's in Luke 23. How little did they understand that as Jesus hung on the cross, the power of God was on display for us all to see. Jesus could have defeated those nails that went through his hands and his feet. Don't ever doubt that, but this was a bigger battle against sin and death. And as we see in his death and in his resurrection, he was victorious. Jesus is more than powerful to deal with all of our sin. 
1 Corinthians 15, and we know these verses well, but I'm going to read them because they're amazing. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus invites us to trust him and to share in the victory which only God can secure for us. Only he is powerful enough to deal with our sin. Only he is powerful enough to make a way for us to have this amazing reconciled relationship with God. In Acts 4, we read of Peter and John, and they're before the high priest, and Peter, filled with the Spirit, proclaims, there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Do we place all our trust in the power of what Jesus has done on the cross for us? May we rejoice in this power that saves. May we put all our trust in the power of Jesus because there is no one else to trust. May we acknowledge that there's nothing that we can do to overcome sin and death. We are powerless. And will we just wholly come to him with surrender and hearts full of thankfulness for what he has done. Lastly, as as we've seen in Acts 4, this power lives inside of each of us for all who believe, for all who have faith in Jesus. In Acts chapter 1, just before Jesus ascends into heaven, he shares these words with the disciples. This is Acts 1.8. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. The power that rose Jesus from the grave lives inside each of us. Just let the truth of that resound in your heart and in your mind. As we continue through the book of Acts, we see the power of the Holy Spirit at work in God's people, and that continues today. For all who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and have surrendered our lives to him, we are new creations. The old has gone, the new has come, and in this new life, we live in the power of the Holy Spirit. How often do we look to live from our own very limited power? Paul, in the letter to the church in Galatia, encourages the Christians to continue living in the power of the Spirit. So he says in Galatians 3.3, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? And the answer to that is it can't be done. If you began in the power of the Spirit, the only way to go on living and walking, being perfected, completed, is in the power of the Spirit and not the flesh. If you've begun by the Spirit, live by the Spirit. Later on in chapter 5, 25, he encourages us to keep in step with the Spirit. And then Ephesians 6, 10, he says, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Our strength is not found in ourselves. It is found in Him who lives inside of us. 
He gives us all that we need for the battles in this life. And if you continue in Ephesians 6, it talks about battles against the rulers, authorities, and cosmic powers against spiritual forces of evil. We don't stand in our own power, but in God's. And as we live in the power of the Holy Spirit, in His strength, as our lives are hidden in Christ, He enables us to put on the whole armor of God. It's his armor. We'll put it on. In Colossians 3, it talks about put to death what is earthly in you. But again, earlier in that passage, it says we do that by looking to him. Again, it's not looking just within inside. It's the power of the Spirit inside of us. And then in that passage in Colossians 3, it goes on to say, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, forgiving one another. He enables us to put on love. Now, to talk about these things or things to put on and the things to put off, if we're trying to do that on our own, it just can't be done. But we have the power of the Holy Spirit inside of us, so it makes that all possible for us. But we, I think we need to choose to do that. We need to choose to live in the power of the Spirit. We need to choose every day to come to Him and say, God, I surrender my life to You. I need to live in the power of Your Holy Spirit. I need Your help to put on this armor. I need Your help to put off these things, to put on. And in 1 Corinthians 12, it reads, it reads about spiritual gifts and how these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as He wills. And these gifts which we receive through the power of the Spirit are to be used for the glory of God and for the common good. It's the gifts of the Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit that empowers these gifts inside all of us. And God decides by his grace, by his mercy, by his goodness to work in and through us for the building of his kingdom. We do that through his power, not ours. As I consider these things, I know I can't do them in my strength. But as I see the promise of what the Spirit can do, as I see just how powerful God is, I can only look to surrender my life to look to him, to keep in step with the Spirit, and to live in his power. As we come to a close, let me read the closing verses from Isaiah 40. The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youth shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. This past year, 14, 15 months, has been challenging. And there have been times in it where I, I see those verses and I'm just like, man, I recognize quite a lot of those words. There's times when I have felt faint. There are times where I have felt weary. There have been times where I have felt exhausted. How about you? 
I'm pretty sure I'm not the only one. If that is you, let us wait upon the Lord who reveals his handiwork day and night and promises to renew our strength. Maybe you don't know Jesus. Maybe you feel you've slipped too far to be loved by him. Would you know of the complete power of his sacrifice on the cross? That is more than enough for all of us. Maybe today you feel burdened and weary. Would you come and walk step by step with the Spirit? Not on your own, but with him and in the strength of his might. For all of us, would we truly recognize how amazing our all-powerful God is? And would we desire that friendship and that reverent fear of knowing our all-powerful God? Amen.